everybody, and welcome to Storm the Castle. My name is Josue, and this is my brother, Brandon. Hello, everyone. And this is a Disney podcast. I really need to just figure out something else to say when I introduce this podcast, besides saying this is a Disney podcast, because I think the castle gives it away. But today is a very special episode for lots of reasons. Uh, Brandon, we are going to be talking about our my favorite author, with a person who is extremely intelligent when it comes to C.S. Lewis. Uh, Brandon, you want to introduce our guest today? Yes, um, we have Abby Thompson on the podcast today, joining Josue and me. We are going to be talking about The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is a Disney film, um, but it is a story by uh, C.S. Lewis. And Abby is a good friend of mine, and I'm very excited, and she has such great insight into this story, and I think you're you're in for a real treat, I'm telling you right now. So, welcome, Abby, to the castle. Oh, thank you, Brandon and Josue. It's so great to be here. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, so as Brandon said, we're going to be kind of talking about C.S. Lewis and the, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. The specific book, movie, that we'll be looking at is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, Brandon, you had some questions, though, for Abby before we get started. Yes, because everyone that comes to the castle must be asked a few questions about Disney. So, Abby, I would like to know, um, how did Disney play out in your life growing up, or did it not? No, it was a huge deal in my life. Um, My aunt and uncle were missionaries to Africa, and so when they went to Africa, they left us all their VHS tapes, including all of their Disney tapes, (laughs) so my brothers and I would watch Aladdin and Lion King and The Little Mermaid and Pocahontas and Beauty and the Beast and Robin Hood and all the classics um, on repeat several times, sometimes more than once a day. Mm. And um, well, now Disney kind of comprises of everything for my childhood, I guess, because (laughs) um, it has Marvel now. And that was huge of my childhood. And on Disney Plus, they have the 90s X-Men and Spider-Man cartoons, which if I wasn't watching Disney, I was watching those. And so (laughs) I'm (laughs) and then Star Wars as well. So that's what I was raised on. And I really think Disney movies were what inspired me to sing and to be an actress and then which led me to directing and just a love of stories, which led me to Lewis. And so, I don't know. I think Disney was really integral to my childhood. Awesome. Oh, that's so cool to hear. All right, Abby, so let me ask you then next. Um, what is your favorite Disney movie and why? This one was really hard and it kept me up at night. Um, <laughs> Good. I think I'm going to have to go with Pocahontas just because uh, it's one that I watched a lot as a child and the music is really beautiful and it's really sad and I like that. Um, so yeah, I think Pocahontas. Sweet. All right, cool. That's I was surprised with that one, but I like it. Um, <laughs> okay, so with that also, um, who is your favorite Disney character and why or who do you relate to the most? Okay, so how how wide is the Disney universe on this one? Very wide, because Disney owns everything now. So. Right, okay. So if it's on Disney+, Plus, I can claim yes. that character? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, <laughs> so the 1990s Spider-Man cartoon that I mentioned before, there's a character called the Black Cat, and oh, she yeah. has always been my number one since I was five. Wow. I know who that is. <laughs> yeah. Is she really a cat, or...? Is no, she's a person. Oh, okay. She's basically Spider-Man, but stronger Ooh, and a cat. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Okay, last question is: What Disney song or soundtrack is your favorite, and why? I think I have to go with Newsies on this one because uh, there's nothing like a boys choir. I think it's <laughs> really fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love Newsies. It's so mm-hmm. good. Santa Fe, my. Santa Fe. Brooklyn's here, I think, is my favorite. My mm. favorite song. Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah, that too. That's cool. And um, do you like the do you like the Broadway adaption or do you like the original one movie? I am a movie loyalist, although I do think the Broadway adaption is really good. They do justice. So, yeah. Nice. Cool. All right. Well, that's all the questions we have for you. Um, and now we're going to go into the movie. But, Jose, we have some fun facts, right? Yeah, we do. Uh, before we get into the fun facts, though, let's talk about um, – I just want to spend a little bit talking about Lewis before yeah, we, we get into it. It's a good idea. Because um, I don't know about There's you guys. There's a lot of Lewis nods in the movie, so we'll be talking oh, about absolutely. Lewis a lot, I think. Yeah, absolutely. 
Lewis is hard. My Alexa just went off, so I need to unplug it. Um, Lewis for is my favorite author for sure. I think I discovered Lewis when I was a junior in high school with Mere Christianity, and I've been reading him ever since. And then, of course, The Chronicles of Narnia. I read those when I was, I think, in sixth grade, and then I, or then I watched the movies when in fourth grade when they got released. And Lewis is uh, for sure my favorite author. He is. Um, his books are incredible. All of them I've ever read. I've only, I have not read the space trilogy yet. I need to read those. What? I know. I'm sorry. What? I need to. I need to read those. I, so you need to read okay. Perlandra. You need to. You need <laughs> to read the Ransom trilogy, and I actually have it mentioned in my notes because there's you a really? question in the movie. Oh, perfect. Yes. <laughs> perfect. Oh my word. Okay, yeah. So yeah, I don't. Yeah, I have not read all of them. I think my favorite book by Lewis is The Weight of Glory. It's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, that one. one. Yeah, and then and the great, A Great Divorce is really great, too. How about you guys? Mm-hmm. Abby, you want to go with your Lewis? Sure. Love, yeah. and I'll go with my, mine. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I have so many because I love him so much. Um, but I think my I have a tie for favorite. Um, Pilgrim's Regress, which is one of the more obscure ones, um, and I, I really love it. And I've actually been thinking about it a lot, so I probably will. It's about time I read it again. And um, Till We Have Faces. I oh, really yes. like that yeah. one. It's a gorgeous book. Yeah. Nice. Um, for me, Lewis is also um, my favorite author um, and has helped me a lot in a lot, a lot of ways um, as a writer and just a Christian and as a human being. But my favorite, I think, is Surprised by Joy. And then my favorite Narnia, though, it used to be The Horse and His Boy, but up to this year it changed, and The Magician's Nephew is my favorite now. Oh, oh really? interesting. Yes. I would cost the change. Horse and His Boy is my favorite, so oh, it's why, really? okay. why are you leaving the wagon? <laughs> well, I do love it. No, I love I love The Horse and His Boy, I, um, but when I reread uh, The Magician's Nephew this year, I think the way that Lewis deals with grief and um, Diggory uh, in that especially when he says, my son, I know grief is great. And understanding that, that the lion, um, as Aslan is even has, is sad. It seems like Aslan is sadder for Diggory than Diggory is in his situation. And I think that is such a amazing picture that Lewis paints of God in us. And I think with that, that kind of took the toll. And I really like Diggory's character in mm-hmm. all the Narnia. I think he's my favorite. Lewis no, is but... really great on grief and yes. everything, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. uh, well, <sighs> What's the, oh my goodness, I'm blanking. Shadowlands. The memoir. Well, that, yes. But the mem- the book he wrote when his oh, wife sure. died. A oh, Grief Observed. observed. A Grief Observed, yeah. That yeah. is yeah. just so, yeah. And The Last Battle has a lot of grief in it, too. And his poetry is rich. And actually, I have a few poems I want to read at some point. Yes. If you know <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right, so let's see. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is the movie we'll be talking about. Uh, Lewis started writing this. His the first draft of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was completed in 1949. Um, so when people think about fantasy as a genre, usually the first couple of names that are mentioned are Lord of the Rings by Tol- J.R.R. Tolkien, and I, I mean I think Harry Potter. I'm assuming. Uh, by no, J.K. Sure. and J.K. Rowling or Game of Thrones, and people, not people, don't forget Lewis, but Lewis, and for those who don't know, Lewis and Tolkien were really good friends because they were both professors at the same university at, at Oxford, at Oxford, Oxford, <laughs> and they actually they were part of a group called the Inklings, which were a literary group of him, another writer, I think Owen Barfield and um, Lewis, and they would basically get together and. Charles Williams, they would get together at a pub and drink and talk about literature, really anything under the sun. And uh, Lewis and Tolkien both started writing uh, both Lord of the Rings and the Chronicles of Narnia around the same time. And you can actually see a lot of Tolkien in Lewis's writing, specifically the professor, who is essentially a type of Tolkien. And that was really cool. I, I've known that for a while, but it's still just a really cool fact to know. He's also based off of Lewis's real professor that he had growing up. Um, yep. prof- Kirk, or no, what's his Kirk name? Kirkpatrick. It was Kirkpatrick. That's Kirk who it was, right. Yeah. Which, um, which actually also was one of, he taught at the school that our friends in Ireland went to. Yep. Um, too, which is and cool. Lurgan. And Lurgan. Yep. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's pretty cool. So, look, trivia. Do you guys know what the first character 
of Narnia Lewis thought of, who was who was the first character Lewis thought of. Mr. Tumnus. Yep. Yeah. Tumnus, do you guys know what age? Or could you guess? 16, I think, right? Yep. I don't remember how old. Yeah. Okay, 16. Yeah, he was 16 when he, he was, thought of. Yeah, he was 16 years old when he thought of a, uh, a fawn with a uh, scarf. And basically, when he was in his mid-age, he was like, I should write a book about that. And he did. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, the first names of the Pevensey children, who are the main characters, were Anne, Martin, Rose, and Peter. And only one of them stuck, which I don't blame him. Um, the first draft of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe actually never contained Aslan as um, that. It contained no mention of him. Really? Yeah. The, the name, uh, so the, the witch, the white witch, her name is Jadis, and it gets mm. mentioned in the movie. And uh, that means witch in Persian. So good on Lewis for doing that. And then uh, Aslan is actually the Turkish word for lion. So there's another thing there. Uh, the castle named is named Care Paravel, and it actually in its old English it means a lesser court. So Care means court, Paravel means lesser or under. So in other words, like the kings of Narnia are are lesser under Aslan. So that's actually really cool that he made. Wow, yeah, that's cool. awesome. And then, unfortunately, C.S. Lewis died on the same day as uh, John F. Kennedy on November 22nd, Almost the same hour. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. insane to think about. Mm -hmm. Abby, you've been to his grave, right? C.S. Lewis's grave? Yes, I have been to his grave, and I went to his house. Um, Yeah. Uh, It was unreal. I bet. We've Mm -hmm. been to the C.S. Lewis Square in Belfast, and that was an amazing experience. So they he sent it, me it, pictures. Yeah. Yes. Super cool. So if you ever go to Belfast, for sure, C.S. Lewis Square, it has a bunch of statues of the Narnia uh, mm-hmm. characters, especially as the Aslan is huge. Mm-hmm. It's enormous. It's awesome. And then you have the uh, the statue of Lewis in the wardrobe, which I'm really yeah. glad I we almost skipped it. It's like it's kind of out of the way. Mm-hmm. In a way, like you you wouldn't think to go down that that little uh, sidewalk, but then there there it's wasn't there. Yeah, I would have hated myself forever if I didn't, um, right. <laughs> if I didn't go down there. Yeah. But apparently, Brandon, there's another area in Belfast that has a statue of the professor. Oh, and I didn't I, know that. Where? That. Yeah. Do you know? It's it's somewhere in the city center, oh. and we missed it. But in Belfast, Lewis is pretty loved. I saw because Lewis is act. Most people think that Lewis is actually English, but people don't know he was uh, he was Northern Irish, and he I uh, just yeah. We want to specify here with the whole Northern Ireland, Ireland, England, because it's a whole thing. They fought about it. We aren't part of that, but we know the history. <laughs> but, he's Northern Irish. He's from Northern he Ireland. was Northern Irish. He was, from Northern, he was uh, born in, I think, born in Belfast. Yeah. Uh, grew up Northern Irish, but then he moved to England, and he's basically spent his entire life in England, but he yeah. was Irish. And um, so Lewis is very loved there in, in, uh, in Ireland. But, um, yeah, his... his uh, stepson his douglas gresham is kind of the guy of he basically takes care of all the business behind lewis himself and so when it comes to the chronicles of narnia movies they actually um i believe they wanted to start shooting in like the mid 90s so like around like oh, 96, wow. 97 and they wanted they, they couldn't do it in britain and so they they almost made it into an american movie and he didn't really want that because they wanted to be british because it was a british uh british uh, book and then when Harry Potter came out and they did it all in Britain they were like oh we can do it in Britain as well and so sure. that's when they were able to able to do the movies but um yeah so Lewis wrote and uh, he finished them in the, like the entire series in the 1950s and then this is the uh Disney version of the book the first book that was written but the second book in the actual uh series Chronologically. To, chronological timeline, correct. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it came out in 2005. Do you guys remember when you guys first saw it? Because I do. I do. I don't remember seeing it, but I'm sure I saw it in the theater. Yeah, That's I, I remember saw seeing it. it. I saw it in the theater, and it was at a, a birthday party, and I remember seeing it, and I loved it. I was yeah. very scared at the uh, the execution scene, but I loved everything else about it. We were all we were all reenacting Peter Peter's fight with the witch, uh, like afterwards. That was great. 
Brilliant. So I have two fun facts because there are a lot of facts with this, but I'm only going to keep two. Um, did you know that in this, the wardro- on the wardrobe, the carvings that are on there are scenes from the magician's nephew in the movie? Oh, cool. Yeah. And then my other fun fact is there were 3,000 actors that auditioned for the role of Peter, but um, William Mosley, who plays Peter Pepinsey, beat them all out, which is a lot of actors. Wow. So Real. Yeah. Wow. Yep. All right. All right, so the the movie itself came out in 2005. Yep. Uh, so it came out in 2005, and it was a huge hit, actually. People really enjoyed it. It was actually the, I believe it's the, from what I'm reading right now, it's uh, 2005's third most successful film. It won the 2005 Academy Award for Best Makeup, probably for oh. James McAvoy, because James McAvoy is in this movie, and he plays Mr. Tumnus, and I did not realize it was him until I like I, I knew it was him going into watching it, but it wasn't until my adult years that I realized that it was actually James McAvoy, and he did a great job as Mr. Tumnus. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually funny. I was watching an interview with him. I was saw with him and Georgie Henley, who plays Lucy, and he was saying how he read them as a kid, and he read them so much that when it came to being Mr. Tumnus, he just knew how to be Mr. Tumnus because he because of he's because he knew the character so well which is really cool to think of someone being able to know a character really well sure. because you basically grew up with them and you know how to portray them just from reading that is, the book. that is really cool yeah i think he does a really good job because he he is a lovable fawn but he's also really dangerous and you kind of have that yes. sense from the beginning yes. which is great yeah thank you i'm glad you said that because well we should <laughs> hop into the plot so uh we're gonna start with the plot there's a lot to talk about in this movie it's a two and a half hour long movie and just there's a lot to unpack so we're gonna start with the plot and then go from there um so yeah so we open up in the beginning uh in the movie version uh we get that the city of london is being bombed by nazi germany and the family then runs into their bomb shelter and 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 we get right away the dynamic between Peter and Edmund, which we're going to get throughout the entire movie. And I want to go ahead and say that Peter, in this adaption, uh, I eye roll major at him because I yes, think he is thank the you. biggest brat. Yeah, yes. I, I actually yes. wrote my notes. I'm like, when is Peter going to repent? Because honestly, he yes. is awful as Edmund. And yes, yeah. yes. Uh, I put that um, that they're all really bad versions of what they're supposed to be. I think so, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Lucy's good. Like even something I laughed out loud when I saw was when they're getting bombed and Susan runs into Lucy's room and she checks for the books before her own sister. Did you guys notice that? <laughs> no, I didn't notice that. No, so yeah, she literally goes and she opens and she looks at the books and and Lucy's crying and screaming in bed and then she's like, Susan or Lucy, come on!" And then she grabs her. <laughs> but I'm like, "You didn't like think of checking her first? Like, I don't know. I just yeah. saw that. Maybe thought she that thought was she was already in the bomb shelter. I don't think she needs an invitation to go into there. But I don't know. I, I do think this movie kind of overemphasizes Susan as being really smart, which is not a character quality she has in the books at all. Um, not that she's unintelligent, but she doesn't focus on it. And it's Peter who's the scholar. And so I don't know. Uh, yeah unnecessary but i guess she had a personality yeah i agree yeah Yeah, which is kind of like but why the bossy i don't know yeah yeah but um, it's yeah yeah, they got they got to fill in the details right i love i love the opening of the movie i think it is so correct and important because the book came out five years after the end of the war so the children who read it at that time would have had a context for it 2005 we don't understand bomb shelters and air raids and things like that. So it really needed, we needed that context of, oh, wow, this is serious. Their father's already gone at war. They're leaving their mother. Like everything they know could end and they're in a really bad spot. So I think it's really important. That is a really good way to open it and kind of set it up for our context now. And I, and I think with it too, it really shows, and you're, you're right. We're, where an audience now doesn't really not, I guess, suppose not, not an American audience would know the realities of war. And I think I forget, I know for, you know, our, our grandparents or, you know, our grandfather served in world war two. And that was a reality of actually, you know, being killed, being bombed. And in England, in London, that was a reality. And this is the reality of the kids where, so the stakes are already really high right away in the opening scene. Yeah. And I think it makes it 
and I, and I think not until I'm old, when I watch it now that I'm older, that I really see that. I think as a kid, I didn't really quite grasp that. But now it's like, oh, no, they're literally being bombed out of their house. And they right. have to be separated from their family, knowing that their house could be bombed and their mother could be dead and their father could be dead. And they're, you know, in the country. So it's very, yeah. very in the beginning. Well, and the interesting thing is they're they're sent to the country to escape the war. And then they find this magical world. And what's yes. happening there? It's a war. Mm-hmm. So they yep. actually fall headlong. Like, they're, it's not avoidable. The, the war right. is a reality that they can't, they can't escape from, and they have to get through in, in their own way, right. either in Narnia or in the real world. So, Yeah. Yeah, so they, um, they get, they're getting bombed. They have to leave to the countryside. I thought that it was really, I thought they hit the jackpot, to be honest, when it came to what, what places that they have to stay in. Because kind of like, I, like how, how does the picking process work? Because I, I don't know. Like, I'm assuming that they, they actually did do that, where mm-hmm. they sent children off. Yeah. And I, Lewis I don't know the housed history. children in his house. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did. Yeah. And that, I think that inspired him. That was part of inspiration to write that specific storyline for this book. And uh, you see just kind of the desperation of each each of the children are worried about different things. Edmund, Edmund annoys me so much in the beginning. He is, <laughs> I, when he was complaining on the train, he's like, I know how to get on a train by, on my own. It's like, it's such a 14-year-old kid thing to do, you know? Is that how like, old can, he is? I think In the book, 14, he's much, they're much younger. Yeah. Like, if you look in the illustrations, I think it looks like Peter's maybe 10, and Lucy's maybe 5, and Edmund's maybe oh, 6. I, yeah. I, that's what I would sure. guess. Edmund's only one year older than Lucy, so... Yeah, but right. in the movie, it's older. Yeah, I mean, the movie has. Well, that's actually something that's really good about the books is that Lewis, okay, in contrary to Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings is extremely detailed in every single way, and this is actually a frustration that Tolkien had with Lewis Chronicles of Narnia, where there Lewis, were many frustrations. <laughs> yeah, there were many frustrations, <laughs> but um, but it, the I think one of the major ones was that. Lewis really left a lot of the books to the imagination of the, of the child, and that's something that's really great about Lewis and the and the uh, the even the Pevensies themselves. They, they aren't really described that much in the books, you know. In yeah. contrast to Lord of the Rings, where Lord of the Rings you could have twenty pages on what a tree looks like, you mm-hmm. know. But like in Narnia, it's extremely simple, and I think Lewis purposely did that so that. So each person who read the books could imagine themselves as a Pevensey or as, you know, or as a warrior in Narnia. I think that's yeah. a really cool aspect of the, of the both the books and the movies. Definitely. It also allows the heroes, the Pevenseys, or later on Eustace and Jill, since they're kind of left to the imagination, they fit into the different environments of each Narnian story really well. So right. they take they take on the characteristics of each book easily. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so they hit the jackpot, as I said, and they go to this yeah. massive house in the country with the professor, and we have Mrs. McCready, who is in the book, I believe, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is. And she's scary. Uh, we, she's very <laughs> scary, and in this movie, she's very scary too. I wouldn't want to cross her. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when they get to the house, it's very strict, and they um, are ho- like they're there and they're safe, but it's not obviously it's not home. Obviously, it's the unknown and whatnot, and to occupy themselves they play hide and go seek. And as they play hide and go seek, Lucy then comes upon the wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. this was it. Yeah, this is actually a, a really cool. In, so it's different than in the books where in the books, she kind of stumbles upon it. But in this version, she discovers it by playing hide and seek. And that was, I believe in the book, in the, in the movie, like, that was her first time seeing Narnia as a set. As an actress. So, so, was, her yeah. go, so her going into Narnia through the wardrobe, that was that was such a cool scene because like, uh, him having, Diggory having a covered, oh, sorry, the professor's name is Diggory Kirk, Professor Kirk. It's the, it's the child from the magician's nephew. Spoiler alert if you haven't read them yet. <laughs> but... Um, yeah. but he has it covered. It's only the wardrobe in the room, which makes sense if it's so important to him that he has it, that mm-hmm. uh, like in a special spot like that. And uh, when Lucy discovers it, it's kind of funny because like you would think that no child would react that way to a wardrobe, but for some reason that she was drawn to that. Sure. And so she opened it, she goes in, and uh, she's not expecting 
anything. She's just going behind cl- uh, clothes and jackets. Well, she's and hiding. She, she's, she's hiding. She's trying to do. She's yeah. Trying- and, and and she discovers this entire world, which I mean, to to think of a child discovering that you know, it's just amazing. That entire scene is beautiful, just because mm-hmm. you see. The beauty of Narnia, even in, in its worst time, technically in the winter, yeah. right, it's still very right. beautiful. Right. I think I think how Lucy remarks, it's an awfully big wardrobe, which is yeah. like the understatement of the year. Uh, it's also interesting that Lucy's the only one who enters Narnia on her feet and facing forward. Um, Edmund falls into Narnia on his back, and Susan and Peter fall in on their faces. Um, so I think there's kind of a symbolism there of, like, Lucy's really receptive to Narnia and believes it right away and loves it right away, and Edmund is, like, backward against it, and then Peter and Susan just kind of happen to be there and fall in and, right. you know, are I didn't, I didn't even notice that. Dang. I didn't notice, nice. but it's, yeah, yeah, that's a good point, right? Yeah. It is, with, yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say I was just gonna keep on moving. We got a lot of plot to talk to. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> you know. Well, let's say because it's the famous um, the yes, lamppost scene, the lamppost, which is such an iconic piece of literature. The lamppost is it came from the magician's nephew with the queen Jadis, and she it basically landed from our world to Narnia, and that's the short synopsis of it. Yeah, do you think that Lewis knew that when he wrote Line the Witch in the Wardrobe, or do you think he was like, oh, Lantern in the Forest, that's cool? I have no idea. I like <laughs> I would he did. enough late the latter. I would say, I don't know. He's brilliant, but maybe I think he probably just wrote well, he, it in there, and he's like, oh, that was crazy. He also wrote about Magician's Nephew as last. So yeah, he did. Kind of tied it all together with the first one. Yeah. But, sure. um, but yeah, the, you have the lamppost, and Lucy is bewildered by it, and then this is where she meets Mr. Tumnus the Fawn, who is a... How would we describe Mr. Tumnus? Deceptive in the beginning, for oh, sure. Yeah, I, I read I, he's devious. He's very yeah. devious. Like he's Which, so he's so evil because he's so mm-hmm. nice to her, and he yes. like persuades her to come yes. with him, and it's really kind of disturbing. It's very <laughs> dark. Stranger well, danger. Right and, <laughs> right, and that's the thing is we get this light this light conversation where he's like, well, "Why don't you come to have tea with me? Come do this. Come do this." And underlying, he's kidnapping her. Mm-hmm. That is what is going on. And even in the house when they goes, when he goes in a way he um puts her to sleep with this Narnian, a beautiful Narnian lullaby, but it's um but it puts her to sleep to kidnap her. And it's absolutely evil and frightening mm-hmm. that we yes. have that. And actually yeah. Mr. Tumnus was one of the reasons Tolkien hated this book, because mm-hmm. fawns were in mythology related to Bacchus and with mm-hmm. um, drunkenness and with sexuality. And so Tolkien was like, This has no place in a children's <laughs> book. <laughs> How <laughs> dare you it's do a this? different creature, right? Yeah. It's <laughs> so funny. Oh wow. Well, I, yeah. It's really funny. You can see his regret even before he basically not drugs her but makes her fall asleep it's yeah. it's a narnian version of yeah. drugging her yeah. and because even when she, he compares himself to his father you can see the regret that like we're not the same at all yeah. and that's something that i thought was really funny was the the books across the so you have all these uh, um like philosophical books about man and i think that shows like I think the times today, or like in just, just throughout history of people talking, having all these deep discussions that to many people are very obvious. Like, is man a myth? Of course mm-hmm. not. Like, have it right in front right. of you. It's a whole and, book um, about it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> and so um, you have this, you have a scene where he plays the lullaby and it's so beautiful. I honestly, I, I love, I love the song. Don't like the scenario that's going on with it, mm-hmm. but I love the song. And then you, the fire scene is extremely beautiful yes. too, where you have, when Aslan comes, like yep. there's something awesome about Aslan mm-hmm. in any form in the fire. <laughs> um, right, and it's was. Do you guys think was that actually Aslan at that specific moment in time realizing yeah. what was happening? You guys think that? I think I mean, so. I mean, based on if it's it's something that happens in the other books. It doesn't happen in the line the witch in the wardrobe there, but in other of the books, Aslan will turn up to be like to warn Lucy in, in the monopods in Don Turner, like, don't do this, and, like, you're sinning, basically. So right. maybe I think he's there at the moment. Yeah, right. yeah that was great. And then Lucy wakes up, and it's nighttime. 
and Lewis and Lewis and um <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, the the fawn <laughs> sitting Tom in the corner. Thomas yeah. is sitting in the yeah. corner crying about what and he confesses what he's about to do and Lucy's essentially like I thought I trusted you. And yeah. so right. and he makes the brave and smart decision to return her back to the place where he found her. Yeah. Which which was mm. extremely brave for him and it was a good redemptive a uh, little redemptive story for him right there that he was able to do fix what he did was wrong by doing right and let Definitely. her escape. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, the the idea of turning over people to the authorities and like the secret police is all very yeah. World War Two. You know, mm-hmm. I think it probably would have hit very close to home um, at the time of its publishing. Right. Yeah. yeah, I love the parallels Lewis does there because we we do get the secret police, hot people in hiding, turn people in, right, and is very much so in World War Two with with Jew, Jews and, and Nazis and all that. It's very mm-hmm. brilliantly paralleled. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And um, yeah, so you have her and him having like a nice little goodbye. And what? And so he, she, he has the, uh, what do you call it? The handkerchief. Handkerchief. And then she's like, you need it more than I do. And then he's like, oh, yeah. kindness. And then yeah. she goes back. And this is where the she discovers the whole time difference in narnia versus in our world right where it's our world can be a minute but in narnia it can be you know a whole day or two or centuries even we find out later right Mm -hmm. right and so you have the whole time difference where lucy is extremely not bewildered and just excited because i just discovered this whole world and then she ruins the whole game of hide and seek (laughs) (laughs) right and then, she, and then she's like, oh, haven't you wondered where I've been? Like, I've been gone for hours. And they're like, what are mm-hmm. you talking about? Which I understand them not believing her because she's, mm-hmm. right. we'll say she's what, like what, in the movie, say like what, 10, 11? I'd say right. so. Yeah. 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 And seven, like, I mean, yeah. Eight? Yeah. Seven, eight. Any, anywhere from five to 13. We're safe. Okay. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So you have Lucy who's like saying like, this actually happened, but like, I mean, how many times have the kid told us something that's happened and that they believe, but we don't believe them because we think it's nonsense. And um, Lewis is extremely about that in his own life, about seeing the world as not myth. He uses the word myth, like myth and um, just the imagination. He believes that you should see the world, the rational world with an imagination, which is a, not very popular these days. But um, but Lucy has that pure mind to see that. And they... they they search for it and they can't find it. Edmund makes another wisecrack joke about seeing a football field and the covered. Yes. Which, when I first watched it when I was a kid, I thought that he was talking about actual <laughs> football field, like American football. <laughs> American I realized football. it's soccer. <laughs> and then you have the clashing of Peter and I uh, roll. roll for real. Yeah. <laughs> I literally wrote to them, Peter, I roll all caps when he when yeah. he yells at him, whatever. And right, and because like you see. You see all of them working towards something that they're trying to be, you know, where in in the end of the movie, you see them in in their finished, essential character. But like right now, you just see an immature, immature kids who you can see glimpses of them trying to be what they want to be, but they are. And so you see Peter trying to be a good leader, be a good oldest brother, but he can't do it. And he just thinks that by yelling at Edmund and being really hard on him, that's the way it's going to like, that's going to I think it undermines, though, the the true meaning of the clash between Edmund and Peter, which is that Edmund is not capable of submitting to authority, mm-hmm. and Peter is the king. And, and all through Nar- like they get to once they get to Narnia, Peter's the king, and Edmund goes against him every time and tries to undermine him, give him yeah. bad advice, and um, he just will not submit to Peter. But he, Peter honestly doesn't deserve the submission <laughs> in the advice, movie. Right. He's really unreasonable and rude. Right. And it's interesting you say that because even in the beginning, one of the first things Peter says to uh, Edmund is, why can't you do what you're told? Mm -hmm. And I think philosophically, we're looking at this book, we all are Edmund in a way, right? Where Mm -hmm. we don't do what we're told. We break away from, you know, in this context, you know, from the, the laws of God and what God has laid out. And we break away from that and we don't do what we're told. And Edmund doesn't do what he's told. And, um, and so we get that right away and we're going to see that constantly come up in the story yeah right yeah so that night they go back to or i, I don't know how long it's been maybe a couple nights uh it's bedtime so everyone's sleeping 
Lucy goes back to the wardrobe expecting to find it there. And I think this might be like the, the only time in the entire series, besides Edmund later trying to find it, but where Lucy goes searching for Narnia and actually finds it. And because, actually, yes. Because yeah. right. honestly, I, like one of the major themes throughout the entire series is that a lot of them try to look for Narnia, but they never can find it. And yeah, they never yeah. find themselves to that. You're absolutely and, right. And in the book, she doesn't go looking for it. She is forced into the wardrobe the second time, I believe. And she... Because because they there's nothing there when she comes out initially, and so she doesn't think it's going to be there. She's just hoping, but then she has to get into the wardrobe because somebody's coming, and and then it happens to be there. So yeah, for her, yeah. right? Yeah. And then you go, and then Edmund follows her, and so Edmund discovers Narnia as well. And yes. like Abby, you're saying that he falls he falls backwards, which I didn't even think about that, mm-hmm. and him turning his back on Narnia even right when he first got into it mm-hmm. and unlike unlike uh Lucy he discovers the white witch that entire <laughs> sequence I thought was really funny to be honest where you have you uh, what's what's the dwarf's name again um Genebrick he's nameless in the, he's nameless in the book but he but they took a name from a different dwarf from a different book I read so gotcha Fun fact yeah. He like he takes a whip and whips his feet and ties him up and yeah. about to about to stab him in the face. And then uh then you have the white witch, Jadis. Uh she comes out and uh she basically takes Edmund in because she realizes, Oh, this is uh son of Adam, which so is something Adam. that we didn't something that we forgot to mention earlier was that when uh, when Tumnus and Lucy discover each other, that he asks her, "Are you a daughter of Eve?" And she's like, "Well, my mother's name is Helen." Who, by the <laughs> way, is actually the, the actress's real mom because the mom in the book oh. is not named. So that's cool. Oh. Little fun fact. Cool. And um, but but so that the way that they are described as human in Narnia is as a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve, which mm-hmm. which you see Lewis's Christian influences in the books right there, which is pretty significant. Yeah. Um, but but even but for so you can see where the difference of um, loyalty lies when you when you hear a human or a son of a son of Adam or daughter of Eve because Jadis notices right away oh yeah. that's not good because there's a prophecy about right. about four you know humans coming right. into this world and overturning the White Witch a prophecy and, that doesn't really rhyme no not at all <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> no. No, no, it, it doesn't that. sound magical at all, even when you no. Right. So, what my favorite part of the scene with Edmund and the witch is that the minute he gets the hot drink, there's some food on Edmund's face. The whole scene, oh, he's just really? got food all over his face. <laughs> it's so oh. gross. <laughs> have you had Turkish delight? I have, and it's not that great, or at least the one I had wasn't that great. The one he's eating looks better. It's red, like so many things in the movie. Um, And I wonder if it, I think there's rose-flavored Turkish Delight, which doesn't sound good to me, but the one I had was like a nut-flavored jelly, which is kind of (laughs) gross. I had a pistachio kind, and I was like, this is not not that good. No, I heard somewhere... I, I heard somewhere that Lewis chose it because, not because it was like the favorite treat of children, but because during the war it was really, di- it was an imported good and it was really hard to get mm. and it was very expensive. So Edmund sure. was choosing the pricey treat rather than like the good treat. Ah. He was he's being lavish to himself. That's what I heard. I don't know if that's true. That makes don't, sense. Blame you. don't blame you, kid. I would do the same thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know what I would ask the White Witch for. Hopefully oh. nothing. I hope he'd run. Chocolate cake. Run away. Well, it's the, a major theme throughout this entire movie is that you see magic everywhere. Even in their world, you see magic. Mm-hmm. And in our, our world, their world. And you see Jadis here, I believe, I think in the books and in the movies that the Turkish delight was uh, spelled so that he'll, he would want more. So, like, so the more he ate, the more he wanted it. And so you see that uh, the addiction that he has with it, and then she throws an addiction to power that he already had himself, where mm-hmm. she basically offers him the entire throne of Narnia as a prince or a king. And she would never give to him. Absolutely not. And he, but he's he's not smart enough to know, like to decide what's right and wrong for him, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I think the thing that kind of dis- disgusted me the most is when they she asked for his siblings, and uh, he's like, "Oh, are they going to be?" He's he specifically said Peter, right? Is yeah. Peter going to be king too? Which shows the, the disrespect that he has for him, or the, not being able to obey him. And she's like, "No, no, 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 no." He's like, "But a king needs servants." I'm like, "Dang, you'd rather have him be a servant than yeah. you know having him rule next to you or whatever." So yeah, it's messed up. It is messed up. Well, then the worst thing is that he lies about being there. Like, Lucy yeah. sees him in Narnia. They go back together. Yes. They find Peter and Susan. And Lucy's like, we were there. And, and we can back me up. And he totally lets her down. Oh, yep. that wrecked me. So awful. Yeah, well, it's yeah, very and, malicious. And it is. Because you see the difference between really under, like more mature versus being immature and not wanting people to think less of you because you discovered something, you know? And uh, I think for Adam in that specific spot, he didn't want to be seen as a kid. He wanted to be seen as a, an adult. And you sure. have that clash there. And like, that's why you like you can tell about the way he talked and looked at Lucy. It's like some kids just don't want to stop pretending. Mm-hmm. And it's like, shut up. You just literally made a deal with the devil. And so, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Quite literally. Uh, but then you yeah. have, right after that, you have the greatest... Uh, sign of maturity with the professor. And so you just have, like, two completely different clashing opinions in less than 30 seconds. And uh, the professor, uh, who is also the professor in Harry Potter and half I wrote that down. Slughorn. Slughorn. (laughs) Happy Harry Potter Day. Yes. (laughs) But you have that whole, which, honestly, that's one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie, is the the conversation between uh, Edmund and Susan with the professor, where you kind of see his wisdom and, and his wit with just uh, having them believe Lucy because it's kind of like, well, she's telling the truth or she's not. So she believes he is, she, that she is telling the truth. So, you know, be a family. Um, and then when Narnia was mentioned, he was ecstatic, which right. I, I mean, yeah. try to think, like trying to think of him, we'll say how old do you think he is, like in his seventies? Yeah, at least, yeah. And so, he, and he's and he's tried <laughs> anywhere from forty-eight to hundred. Yeah, we'll give it. Good arrangement. Right. He, yeah. Throughout the entire, like, I think it's mentioned in the books that he has tried his entire life to get back to Narnia. Yeah. Right. And he never did. Right. And then you, and then you hear that the wardrobe that saved your mother, or from mm-hmm. the same tree that saved your mother, a girl was able to discover the land, and yeah. that was. I think the actor did a really good job restraining the excitement. You know? Yeah, but that was great. I agree. And the thing with this scene, too, what is most powerful is where Professor Kirk tells Peter and, uh, and Susan that your sister, she's either lying, she's either lying, telling the, tr- the truth, or she's crazy. And that is a parallel to uh, what Lewis had written about um, the belief in Jesus, where either he said who he was, he was a liar, or he was a lunatic. And uh, I love that they kept that in here because there yeah. were some things that, that were not in the book that, that they kept out of here, which is fine, I suppose. But this, I'm very happy that they kept in this. Right. The liar, lunatic, or lord yes. uh, trifecta. That's there with Lucy, too. Yeah. Yeah. Not so. that she's lord, but that she's telling the truth. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so yeah. then uh, we get the family, the, the day that they're going to go into the wardrobe and uh, Peter, or no, Peter, they're playing cricket. Peter throws a ball to Edmund. Edmund hits the window and they go through. And this for me is actually the most telling of Peter because I think this scene shows how immature Peter is and why I dislike him the most. In, <laughs> and But I do like the character arc that he does have later because I think this shows that how, how, he doesn't take responsibility and he's not the leader that he's supposed to be. And uh, because what he does instead of coming forward to the McCready or to the professor saying, Hey, we broke your window. I'm so sorry. He run, they literally are hiding and I don't understand what the point of them. No, hiding it's is. really stupid. Yes, <laughs> There's no exactly. point. They're going to, who else would have broken the window with a cricket ball? Yes. Yeah. And it's really There's out of character for them to hide. Peter is a very yes. honest character. And so is Susan. And so is Lucy. Yes. And there's no way Lucy was going to hide. I, I, that's not in the book. It was just yeah. the movie trying to make it more exciting. And yeah. I, yeah, I resent that. Where I, how did they get all get in there in the book? Do you remember? In the book, Mrs. McCready is taking a tour of 
of oh. visitors through the house and she's told them do not get in my way when I yeah. take visitors <laughs> through the house and um so they're running from her and footsteps yeah. follow them all the way into the wardrobe which I believe the footsteps are actually magic uh, as I'm leading them yeah is like yeah. because like it's a huge house and everywhere they run, they hear footsteps. Yeah. So they're like, or she's clearly close, but in all reality, it's Aslan guiding them into the wardrobe yeah. and then using and then using Edmund's deviousness to leave them in there because Edmund's like, come on, get in here. Right. And like, I don't know his intentions at that specific moment. Oh, I said to think of that. Yeah. I think, he, well, he wants this Turkish delight, right? So he's right. got to right. get them in there. He's got to get them to the queen so he can get his reward. Right, right. right. So then I he don't would know. be looking for Narnia then too, and then they would appear for him. Because yeah, I don't why think I was like a, yeah, like, yeah, in the book, in the book, they are forced into right. it. Like it's right. no one's yeah. idea. They just yeah, yeah. hop in there. <laughs> but and yes, you're right. And, and then they, they Narnia, and then they all they all experience Narnia, and then you have that argument between, oh, really all of them, but mainly between Peter and, uh, um, Peter and Edmund, uh-huh. and. Well, it's funny because Peter's like, I, I suppose, like, your sorry won't be good enough. And then Lucy somehow has time to make a snowball, which I, like, in the in movie logistics, he's staring at her the entire time. And I don't know when she has time to make a snowball unless she did it right away. I don't know. There's something that I thought just nitpicking. But um, what does Susan say? She says impossible possible, when she goes. Yeah. And I, I thought I was like, it is possible, you know? It is possible. And, and I think that's really, really cool to show Lewis's perspective on life in contrast to what a lot of people don't see life as, where in the same way the professor viewed life of, like, you know, she's either telling the truth or not. <laughs> and, um, and, but, my word, Abu. That's <laughs> hard talking to you. Abu's talking so loud. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you have them, you have Lucy who says, like, yeah, like, um, it's a believable, like, you know, I can't remember her exact wordage, but essentially she's saying, I told you so. And right. you can kind of see Lewis's own life, how he how he viewed the world in a magical in a magical sense, which really honestly makes the world a lot more beautiful. But um, but yeah, you have them all discovering the land of Narnia and uh, the and the lamppost and then they which they actually never show the they only show the lamppost in the beginning. They never show the lamppost again, besides at the very end. Have you guys noticed right. that? Well, doesn't Edmund see the lamppost? Yeah, besides Edmund, yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't... And do, they go... No, they go to the lamppost, all four of them. They go past it on their way to Tumnus, don't they? On the way to Tumnus, no. I thought they did. I feel like they didn't show right. it. I Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. But I they look at... But they look... No, but they look at the lamppost, though. I think uh, they all look them. at it. Then, then you know you're in Narnia, if you see it's the two, right. two, two, two versus one, two, you think they did. I didn't, so I'll just assume that I'm wrong. wrong, <laughs> <laughs> I swear. No. But they go uh, see Mr. Tumnus, and then that's when they discover that something is very wrong because the door is smashed down yes. and destroyed, which kind of annoyed me because like that shows how bad the police are in Narnia, where the wolves well, they broke it and they just decided to destroy everything in their path as well as arresting Tumnus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. And then um, they meet the beavers, but maybe we should leave it at this and then continue yes. next time. Can, can I go back? Cause, um, yes, go for it. Yeah, so absolutely. there are two details earlier on in the movie that I didn't comment on, but I have really interesting thoughts about them. Okay, so um, on the train station, when they're saying goodbye, it's to their mothers, and there's all these women on the platform and all the children in the train, which is a heart-rending moment. In the background of the train station, there's a book stall, and it's very prominent, and it's in the shop for a long time. And um, I think this is significant because um, Lewis, in Surprised by Joy, his autobiography, talks Mm -hmm. about how on his way to Professor Kirkpatrick, or on his way home from Professor, I don't know, it was when he was a tutor of Kirkpatrick, um, he bought at a train station bookstall a copy of George MacDonald's Fantasties and George mm. MacDonald was a Christian writer and Lewis read this book on the train and he says that was the moment when his imagination was baptized mm-hmm. so ah. he began to be a Christian because of a train station bookstore so I don't think that that was there on accident yeah. um, I think that good, that's a little nod to to that and then um the other small detail is when lucy discovers the wardrobe um there's a beetle that rattles against the window in the room 
And um, in the in the book, it's a dead beetle on the windowsill. And um, this reminds me of a poem by Lewis called Five Sonnets, and it's about responding to pain and suffering. I think particularly to war because it begins with um, it begins talking about like if uh, you're upset with me for not. What, shaking my fist at all the brave and courageous who are dying and you're you're upset that I'm not angry at God and then mm-hmm. he goes on it's five sonnets and then um he talks about a bee that booms against the windowpane trying to get at a garden and it can't get through the windowpane because that's not the way to go and it's yeah. if it's not taken out of that and brought to the garden which will make it angry and will be painful for the bee but it can't get to the garden without yeah. that and and so um, if it had its own will, it would die upon the windowpane. And I think that's Edmund. I think Edmund is the, that beetle that's going to die on the windowpane if he doesn't yeah. submit. So those are two details that, um, that I thought of that I connected to other Louisian things. Um, oh, that word. That's so brilliant. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, now, I now never want to connect any of that. No. <laughs> Absolutely oh, brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. Wow. So well, we'll pick up with the beavers um, yeah, next yeah. weekend. Next time. So yeah. um, uh, this is a two-parter. Yes, a two-parter. Uh, Abby, Our do you have anything one. you want to plug um, for yourself the, to the audience? They well, can I have a you. blog. I have a movie yeah. blog. Um, it's called Screen Reads, and uh, it, I have links to it on Twitter and on Facebook. And I just write. Uh, I make movie recommendations. I write reviews. Um, uh, my upcoming post is going to be an essay about adapting books into movies. So um, yeah, I, I just write about movies there. So yeah, I will put those links in the show notes, everyone. Thank you. You're welcome. So. Cool. All right. This makes me so happy. I'm so excited. I love talking about this. Um, so everyone, if you haven't seen The Lion, Mitch, and the Wardrobe in a long time, go rewatch it. Reread the book. It's not very long, but it is oh, very not. deep and it's so much richness, especially mm-hmm. if you haven't read it since you were a kid. Um, reread it because you are going to find how brilliant Lewis is and how these stories, they are for children, but I think even more so they're for the adults um, mm-hmm. with the, the uh, with what he's trying to teach us in it. So Definitely. cool. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much. And we will see you next time in the castle. <laughs>